0: Welcome to the Global Missions, Inc. Podcast. This episode features David Luff. As brethren, whenever a camp uh, is coming up, we're, we're all... Very interested in knowing what the Lord would have us to minister to the church in this particular hour, and we as as I meditate upon these things, there are there are topics or subjects that sort of come, and some that go, but sometimes and usually there's one that stays. And after those that come and go, come and go, then the one that stays seems to be the one that the Lord has put his, his, his finger upon. <clears throat> you never know for sure, uh, exactly how, if that's exactly what he wants. But I think about that scripture that says God is light and in him there is no darkness. At all. So when God indicates, even if it is a mild indication, we shouldn't worry too much about it. God is clear. He lights up what he wants and is just incumbent upon us to be obedient to that which he lays upon our hearts. <clears throat> this morning, As I was thinking about um, some things that the Lord has laid upon my heart, the scripture in the second chapter of Revelation has come to mind. And it is where Jesus is writing to the seven churches, and he's critiquing them. He's talking about those things which he is commending them for, and he's also talking about the things that he is rebuking them for. And as we look at that letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said the things that he commended were that he commended it for their labor, their patience in suffering, their resistance to evil, and their rejection of false false apostles. <clears throat> and then he said something else. He said, but there's one thing that I have against you. And that is that you have left your first love. As I thought about that, I thought, what, what was the first love that he was talking about? And I think the, what he was saying is, is that the church, who had begun so strongly, and he commended them for the things that they had done well, but he said, there's one thing, you have, you've grown cool, uh, that affection which you had for me in the beginning has waned, <clears throat> and he said, here's what I want you to do, I want you to to come to think about the way it was in the beginning and then contrast it with the way it is now and see what you think. And he said, if, you know, things are as I have indicated they are, I would have to, if you don't repent of those things, I'll have to remove your lampstand. And you know, a church without a lampstand is not going to be very effective. I don't think they had forgotten Christ. He had not, they, they certainly had remembered him and he was certainly an important part of their, their thinking and their worship and their work. But. There's something about time that we have to be careful of. <clears throat> it seems like it's part, it has been part of Christian history for things to start out where there's, there's a lot of warmth. There's a lot of, of enthusiasm. There's a lot of, of excitement and certainly Some of these things will naturally wane. But what Jesus is speaking of here is that energy, that source of power, that anointing that was there in the beginning had begun to wane. And he was pointing out that the the criticality that that remain fervent and bright. We're a very privileged people. We have been privileged to receive great revelation over the years from the Lord. And I'll just mention just a few of those to bring them back to our remembrance. The coming together of the organic multi member, diverse body of Christ. He has revealed to us the structure of the church, from the family all the way up through the universal church. He has revealed to us the order of headship and submission throughout the structure of the church. And he has restored to us the spiritual gifts and ministries given to individual members to be exercised for the edification of the body of Christ. And there are many more that we could rejoice over. All of these spiritual truths were revealed to us By the spirit of Christ. The one who designed them. And the one who energizes and activates them for us. If Jesus were to write us a letter now. I wonder or I feel pretty certain that he would commend us. For our faithfulness in the things that he has revealed to us, the, the, the structure, the operation, all of these things. I think he would commend the church for, for being faithful to hold on to those things. But I wonder, you know, with time, it is easy, it tends to be easy for us as Christians, and I'm not just saying this about about our church. I mean, I, I don't even know for sure. I just know that Jesus put these scriptures into the Bible for a reason. And I feel the reason is, is because there are things that we should be aware of, and we should be conscious of, and we should be mindful of. But one thing that historically it seems like Christians have done down through Christian history is, is they can, the, they can become fixed on the orthodoxy and do the orthodoxy well, but gradually forget or undervalue the energy source that causes all those things to happen. The orthodoxy only comes and is only effective when, <clears throat> when the power source, the energy source, the anointing itself, which is Jesus Christ is there. And, and I guess that's the thing that I would kind of want us to think about this morning as we go forward is to is to recognize again the criticality and the importance of Christ being at the center of everything. In the 15th chapter of John, and verses 4 and 5, it says, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. that without him being at the center, without us recognizing that all power and anointing comes from him, all the other structural things, all the orthodoxy that we have is without power. And so he wants to remind us and cause us to remember that. All of the wonderful truths of God that he has revealed to us are organically related. And Jesus is at the center of all the truths of God. They all radiate from him. Everything that we have learned, all the revelation that we have been the beneficiaries of, They all, they are like the spokes of a wheel that come from a hub. They're all connected back to that single source, which is Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And this is from Luke chapter nine and verse 20. Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. I don't know how we might answer that question. We would might think, well, he's the savior of the world. He's the one who came to deliver us from our sins. He's the one who came, who is coming to set up his eternal kingdom. A number of things we might say. But by the spirit of God, it was revealed to Peter that central thing. He is the, you are the Christ of God. You, you are the one that, that God has centered his affection. All of his plans and purposes are fixed upon Jesus Christ. <clears throat> God's center is Christ. God created everything including especially mankind for the purpose of manifesting his glory. Let's look at the following scriptures this morning that's that are so beautiful in describing to us what the central plan and purpose of God is and it's important for us to really know and, 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 and make sure that we remain continually aligned in an understanding of God's plan and purpose. The first passage is in the, the letter to the Colossians, chapter one, verses 18 through 20. And I'll give you just a minute, if you don't mind, just just turn in your Bibles to that passage of Scripture. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Colossians one eighteen through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Another word for preeminence is supremacy. God has focused all of his plans and purpose on his son, Jesus Christ. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of God should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know, Jesus did Jesus's work what was not a come in and come out kind of thing. He didn't just come here. Live his 33 years, become our Savior and our Redeemer, deliver us from our sins, and then go back to the Father. Although that that he did, he left with us his essence, the Holy Spirit. He began something that will never end. This was not some sort of an in and out type situation to get us out of trouble. He was sent and he remains with us by virtue of his spirit spirit to carry out the eternal purpose, which he purposed according to his sovereign will before the foundations of the world were laid. let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian scythian slave or free democrat or republican liberal or conservative canadian or american african or indian the scripture could go on and pardon me for that for that uh, bit of editing but it ends with but christ is all and in all I, I I don't know how I wish that I had the words the scripture words are, are are good enough if the spirit can impress on us how wonderful this plan of god is and how we are all in it together <clears throat> the last scripture that I want to read here is ephesians chapter one nine through eleven. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. You know, God didn't take counsel with anybody on this purpose or plan. This was, he did this according to his own sovereign will. He did not consult mankind in this at all. This was his plan. And he's carrying out this plan exactly as he has planned it to be carried out. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. All things mean all things. There is nothing in what God has created that will not somehow find its consummation in his son, Jesus Christ. It just points out to us how critical our continued relationship with this person, Jesus Christ, is to everything we do. Whether it's in the physical, whether it's in the spiritual, whatever realm it is in, he is the center, and he is here to stay. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have ta- obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of Of his will. Praise God. Well we can see from these passages of scripture. That God absolutely has a central purpose. It definitely involves Christ. Who is at the center of it. But what is it? Well let's turn to Romans the 8th chapter. Romans 8, and we'll begin with verse 28 through 30. And I'm going to read this from the J.B. Phillips translation. You can follow along, but I like the way he puts it. Moreover, we know that those who love God and are called according to his pur- his plan or his purpose everything that happens fits into a pattern for good god in his foreknowledge chose them <clears throat> to bear the family likeness of his son that he might be the eldest of a family of many brothers He chose them long ago, and when the time came, he called them, he made them righteous in his sight, and then lifted them to the splendor of life as his own sons. Now, now first of all, let's break this scripture apart a piece at a time. It begins with saying, Moreover, we know. Now, he is saying to us, if you don't know, you should know by now because of all the things I've explained before that Paul had explained before in the book of Romans. He says, you know, now you have this background information. You don't have to doubt what's coming next because you know it to be true. For we know that to those who love God. So this, this passage of scripture is being directed to those who love God. He's not directing it to everybody because the things that he's going to say after this don't necessarily apply to everybody. They, they, they are spoken to a specific group of people. It starts out by those who love God. Now, I, I think all of you here love God. You wouldn't be here if you didn't love God. You wouldn't be tuning in over the Internet if you didn't love God. Who are called according to his plan. <clears throat> now, we'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But I also think that you probably wouldn't be here. You probably wouldn't make the effort to do the things you do in this, in this move of the spirit. If somehow you didn't hear the call of God on your life. But he says after that, he says, for that group of people, that subset of my creation, he said, Everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. So if you are in that group of people, there, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. He doesn't say everything that happens to you is good. Some things are good. Some things are not good. Some things happen to us that are that maybe other people do things to us or, or horrible things happen or, or, or all kinds of difficulties may come our way. All of them are allowed by virtue of God's great permissive will, but he doesn't necessarily, he doesn't send bad things into our lives, but he doesn't, he said, that all things, meaning whether good or bad, he said, because you love me and because I have called you according to my purpose, then everything that happens to you will fit in, I will fit it in, God will fit it in to a pattern for good for you. <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about kind of an illustration of, that I could use here. But I I, I think about if you had a, a 500 or 1,000 piece jigsaw puzzle, you dump it out on the table and then you, you turn it, turn all the pieces up face up and you just, without looking at the box, you pull one piece of the puzzle out. And someone asks you, okay, look at that piece of that puzzle And tell me what the picture, the full picture looks like. You would probably look at it and you'd say, well, I see a bunch of black and a little bit of brown. That's about it. I don't see. I certainly I certainly don't see the picture. And that's kind of the way it is with the things that happen in our lives. We don't we don't. The things that come, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes pretty serious, sometimes wonderful. We don't necessarily see how God is going to work that into a pattern for good, but he promises us. He said, moreover, you know, you know that this is, this is going to happen. This is what I will do. If you kept that piece of the puzzle out and you worked the whole rest of the puzzle, but you didn't put that piece in and you call someone in to look at your handiwork and said, what do you see? They say, well, I see a, a hole right in the middle of your puzzle. Huh. They wouldn't see the picture because that element, once it snapped into place, then you begin, you see the whole picture. <clears throat> And God wants us to know because he's doing something with us and he is creating something with us. He's 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 changing us into the likeness of his son so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but sometimes if we remember that, then the things that come into our lives that we don't understand, that are hurtful or frustrating or difficult, we can say, Lord, we know that you are working all of these things into a pattern for good for us because we love you. And are they called according to your purpose? Now, some people might ask the question, well, how do I know if I'm called? Well, I like this scripture. It comes from second Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 11. And I'm also going to read this from the J.B. Phillips, second Peter one, ten through eleven. <clears throat> Set your minds then on endorsing by your conduct the fact that God has called you and chosen you. I like that. If you're if if you're wondering if you're called by God if you've set your mind on endorsing by your conduct the fact that God has called you and chosen you, then I think you can be sure that you are chosen. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you won't have setbacks in your life. It doesn't mean that everything will go perfectly forward. But if you are endeavoring, by your conduct to live in such a way that demonstrate that God has called you and chosen you, then I think you can be pretty sure that you've been chosen. <coughs> Excuse me. If you go along the lines that I have indicated above, there is no reason why you should stumble. And if you have lived the sort of life I have recommended, God will open wide to you the gates of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so I think you should, we should take comfort in that, knowing that the, the work, the things that God has begun in us, He will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. This begs the question, how are we changed? Into his image and into his family likeness. Well, if we would be like Christ, we must study Him. I want you, I want us to think about that. The, the, there's not, for me, there's not a quick or easy answer to this. That nothing you can just Pop out in, in a few words. It's something that requires us to, <clears throat> to medit- meditate on. You know, <clears throat> Jesus <clears throat> told us, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. <clears throat> And this is the thing, I guess, the the bottom line of the thing that I want to leave with us this morning is the importance of of studying, of examining, of learning of Jesus Christ. (laughs) We can't make ourselves holy. No one has the power to do that. <clears throat> but Jesus has the power to change us and to transform us into the image of himself. There is no force outside of Christ that can accomplish that transformation in us. But Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says something that in, it really intrigues me. And I, and I, I think I like it from the NIV because it says it this way, that we must have our eyes fixed on Christ. The King James Version says looking unto Jesus, but that looking <clears throat> doesn't mean glancing at. It means fixing your eyes so that they are not diverted by other things and that's what I think Jesus wants us to do when he says return to our first love he's saying to us fix your eyes on me study me learn of me contemplate me spend time with me letting Letting the word of God sink into us. We are, we can be transformed by virtue of association. I know that for years, I have been a a person, even, even in the ministry that has depended so much on process, you know, Got to see exactly how everything fits together. It's got to be a scripture that goes step by step that leads us from one place to another. And I almost feel like as I was studying on this thing that I owe the church an apology for some of the, some of the things that I, even some of the things that I've ministered, except for the grace of God, uh, you know, I, I could get off the path what what god is seems to be saying to me as an individual is as a as a as a minister to the body of christ is preach christ and that's enough preach christ and that's enough and i think that's the same that is true for all of us in our lives in our in our individual ministries in the work that we do whatever it is that we're called to Just preach Christ, and that's enough. In John, the 16th chapter, in verses 13 through 15, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it unto you. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing as we, as we read the word and as we meditate on it and as we contemplate the the beauty and the elegance and the supremacy of Christ himself, the Holy Spirit will take of those things and give them to us. I, I don't know how that works, but I have, I have learned that it isn't, it isn't important for me to understand every technicality of how God does what he chooses to do. Because it's a spiritual thing, it's a miraculous transformation that takes place, and it is only the Holy Spirit who can take those things of Christ and reveal them unto us. And I'm not talking about something like, you know, we can listen to beautiful Christian music and it sort of it sort of settles the, the the ruffled spirit. And, and we can hear arguments and we can hear, uh, we can hear information plied to us. Uh, th- these are things that influence us and they're not necessarily bad. They can be good. They can be helpful, but there is no substitute for the Holy Spirit impregnating us with the very life and essence of Christ. And only he can do that. We cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot come up with a list of do's and don'ts. We can't enter the day and say, today I will be like Jesus Christ. I will do everything. I've got this list of things, these list of attributes of his. I got them listed and now I'm going to go do them. We can't, that, that will never work. We will fail at that because we will be depending on our own strength Which is loaded with infirmities and we are bound to fail. But what we do is we must remain in the presence of Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to impregnate us, to impart us with with such a, with such an anointing of life within us that we are transformed into his likeness. Not all at once. It won't happen overnight. But little by little we will be changed into his likeness. I'd like to close with two more scriptures, which I think are so important for us to understand. The first one is Second Corinthians, the third chapter and the 18th verse. And I'm reading this one from the English Standard Version. I do this because sometimes when I read things in certain translations, it just doesn't quite, it doesn't quite get to me the way that I want it to. And I like this particular thing. You might like another translation better, which is fine. But it says, and we all with unveiled faces. He's referring to that, to to that account in the Old Testament where where God had, had been on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and, and God had passed by in front of him. He, he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and said, you can't, you can't see my face. But as he passed by, Moses got a glimpse of his back. And be, even that glimpse of his back caused his face to shine so brightly that the children of Israel Could not look upon it and he had to put a veil on his face. But today, thank God, that veil has been removed from our faces so that we can see him. And he no longer, he no longer hides his face from us, but he allows us to look into his face and, and, and see and receive of that glory which shines in the face of Christ. But Now, let's read on here. Beholding, or another word is contemplating, staring, gazing, having your eyes fixed on the very countenance and essence of Christ. Contemplating the glory of the Lord, As we do this, it says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Just uh, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Oh, I just rejoice in the simplicity of this. This this takes a tremendous load of worry and anxiety of progressing in our maturity in Christ. It says that we can look into his face. We can contemplate his glory. We can just appreciate him. We can love him. We can magnify him in our hearts. And the very association that we have with him will transform us from one degree of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians, and this is the last scripture I will quote, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, English Standard Version, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness... At the creation, that's what he did. He just spoke light out of darkness. Has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. What a wonderful provision God has made for us. The simplicity of of, of what he has designed. He has designed that he would have a people who would be after the likeness, the family likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And for those who love him and are called according to that purpose, then all the things that happen to us in our lives... He will fit together in a plan for good to accomplish that very purpose. I did share a couple of the little stories, personal stories in closing. But I have one grandchild who who has taken up golf and he's pretty serious about it. He plays on a college golf team and he's a freshman. And one thing he does is he has all these YouTube videos that he watches about certain people that he wants to, he, he wants to be able to know the details of the swing, exactly how they hold their hands. Exactly how far the club goes back, all of these kinds of things. And he is passionate about that. And if you want to get him talking, you just normally he's pretty quiet, but if you get him talking about that, he will tell you everything he's learning by watching these videos over and over again, studying how they, how they, how they swing the golf club. And he's gradually, <laughs> Hopefully, anyway, he's learning from those things, and he's being able to reproduce those things in his own life. I have a granddaughter who is passionate about classical ballet. And when I go to into her bedroom in her home, I see these posters on the bulletin board and on the wall of some professional ballerina who is, is, has been caught by photograph in some particular midair movement. And that's what she sees every night when the light goes off in her bedroom. She sees that and that image is there and she carries it around in her mind, in her heart, because she wants to reproduce that. And for us as Christians, that's what we want to do. We love God. We believe that we are called according to his purpose. And that means he wants to change us, transform us into the very likeness of his son, Jesus. <clears throat> and the way that can happen to us is we spend time in his presence. We, we there, There's no instant putting in this. There is no quick fix in these things. It's so easy to become distracted by the things of the world, but saints of God, there is no substitute for that transformation that comes because we are spending time in the presence of God. If we don't do that, then we'll try to counterfeit the orthodoxy, and it won't work. (laughs) There will be no power in it. We must stay connected to the power source which is Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit, or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.